Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Dr. James Hart here with us. After running two major scientific research studies, Dr. Hart published research showing dramatic reductions of anxiety following his alpha training. Then he undertook a major technology development project to bring more processing power into analysis of the brainwaves to do more sophisticated process control of the actual brainwave feedback process. Overall, Dr. Hart is someone that I got introduced to through my good friend, Jacqueline Burnett. She actually went through a bio-cybernaut training. It was a seven-day program, and she kept telling me how much it's changed her focus and everything about her as an individual. And long story short, Dr. Hart is the man behind bio-cybernaut. This man has committed over 40 years of his life to studying the Electrophysiologically Basis of Advanced Mental States. Dr. James Hart is the president and founder of BioCybernet Institute. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Physics from Carnegie Institute of Technology and a Master's degree and a PhD in Psychology from Carnegie Mellon University. Overall, BioCybernet is a very fascinating subject and topic, and I learned so much from this conversation with Dr. Hart. And that being said, I brought on Jacqueline Burnett onto this podcast today to go over not only her experience from the BioCybernet training, but to help enhance this conversation. So thank you so much, Jacqueline, for coming on the show. And that being said, make sure you subscribe and enjoy the episode. What's going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. And today I am joined by a special co-host, Jacqueline Burnett. And today we are sitting down with the one and only Dr. Hart, who is the founder of the BioCybernaut Institute. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Great pleasure to be here with both of you. Absolutely. And just to, to dive into it, Dr. Hart, I've heard so many amazing things about BioCybernaut from Jacqueline. I know that she was went through the experience there over the seven and I just, I'm so intrigued by what you guys do. So I want to give it over to you and say, what is BioCybernaut for those who may not know? Well, a simple way to understand it is a BioCybernaut is to inner space what an astronaut is to outer space. Greek suffix not, Jason and the Argonauts, you might remember Jason went in search of the Golden Fleece, which he had to bring back to the king in order to win the king's uh, daughter as his bride. Then we had astronauts, we had cosmonauts, and so a not implies somebody who goes on an adventure. And the bio refers to our biology, cyber refers to the uh, calculating technology. We couldn't do this without powerful computers. And uh, so we go on a journey of exploration inward, uh, aided by computers. And uh, there are many reasons to go inward. Uh, we just passed Easter, so we can quote Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is within. But also, there are other spiritual teachers from all traditions around the world who have spoken about the importance of quieting the mind, opening your heart, and stilling the internal dialogues as you go within. Now, many people are uh, aware of a, a famous meditation tradition called Zen, 
which uh, is principally uh, out of Japan. And Japan uh, has studied, Japanese scientists have studied Zen meditation very carefully. Uh, typically, uh, the very first practice that they do takes about six years of daily practice to get through the beginner stage. Then from six to 21 years is intermediate, and advanced Zen doesn't begin until 21 years of practice, and it can go, uh, people can go up to 40 years before becoming rated as a master. Now that's a very, Ramdas called Zen the steepest path and without any railing. Well, in just seven days of the BioCyberNaut training, you can make the same brainwave changes as are seen in advanced Zen, which is 21 to 40 years of Zen practice compressed down into a week. Now we know that technology speeds things up. So here we have a technology for accelerating the development of consciousness. It also produces uh, measurable benefits like an IQ boost that averages 11.7 uh, points, stable at least a year out. Uh, the boost in creativity is 50%. That is awesome. And emotional intelligence, which many people now believe is uh, at least three times as important as IQ in determining your success in life. They call it EQ for emotional intelligence quotient. And that goes up an average of 15.8 points, which if you look at the research on emotional intelligence, a one point gain in EQ nets a person of global average about $1,300 more income per year. Now that includes uh, salaries in Bangladesh and India and Pakistan and the Maldives and as well as Germany, you know, France, England, Scotland, the United States, Canada. So if you are in an advanced country, it's likely that a one point boost in IQ, in the emotional intelligence EQ, will net you more than $1,300 a year. But even if we only use that figure, the Alpha One training, the boost there, 15.8 points, you multiply 15.8 by 1300, and you get a figure above $20,000. And so that basically pays back your training in the first year. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Yeah, for, so I've even noticed after the training, it's been a couple of months, and I feel more more zen and more my reactions to everything is as if I'm operating from my higher self. It's a beautiful experience, beautiful lens on life, and it's it's truly been amazing. And I was wondering if you could touch on a little bit about, you know, going into Alpha and really getting into these different gears of your brain waves, if you could expand on that. That's a wonderful metaphor, gears. Okay, well, let's say that you have a four-speed car. First gear is like delta waves, second gear is like theta waves, third gear is alpha, and fourth gear is beta. Well, most people live their lives shifting from first gear to fourth gear. Mm -hmm. So uh, they are either asleep in delta, or they wake up, you know, bathe the alarm, toss down a bunch of coffee, go into full on beta stress, do it, do it, do it all day. Um, and then maybe take a sleeping pill or whatever, have some uh, alcohol, whatever to sleep at night. And so if you drove your car shifting from first gear to fourth gear, and then from fourth gear back to first gear, you'd have high repair bills and low fuel economy. And so in the biological metaphor, that's high medical costs, a lot of stress damage, uh, as well as low productivity. And so what we teach people how to do is to bring in more of the alpha and more of the theta. Now we've documented a 50% increase in creativity from just the alpha one training. And so whatever you do, you do with more creativity and increasing alpha at the back of the head brings in more joy. And so you're more creative and you're more happy about whatever it is you're doing. And you're doing it with less stress. Great way to live. Well, I want to bring up, and I'm, I'm very intrigued where it says on the BioCybernet website, it says the man who committed over 40, year, 40 years of his life to the electrophysiological basis of advanced mental states 
where did this journey start for you? Oh, well, that's a totally cool story. Um, I was a physics major in my senior year at Carnegie Institute of Technology in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I came out of the student union after lunch and there was a big hand painted sign where every letter was a slightly different color and it said, Dr. Joe Camilla will talk on brainwaves and consciousness and it gave a time which was, oh my God, that's just 10 minutes away. And the building was right over here and I didn't have a class that hour. So I went and it was my introduction to a Japanese scientist, Japanese American scientist, who had accidentally discovered by doing sleep research that people could, when given feedback, learn to voluntarily increase their own brainwaves. Now, brainwaves were first discovered in 1908 by an Austrian psychiatrist, totally cool story there for another time. And he kept it a secret for 10 years because he thought it was the basis of ESP. And when he first published in 1918, and I read that original paper in German, need a bit of help from a dictionary, um, it was absolutely amazing. He had found out, for example, that high anxiety people typically have lower alpha. Well, when I came along to do research, I found that if you take high anxiety people and they increase their alpha, they become low anxiety people. But anyway, here's Joe Camilla. And I go to the talk and it's fascinating. And I was in the habit then of going to San Francisco every summer. I would ride my motorcycle out. Joe Camilla had his lab in University of California, San Francisco. So he and I made arrangements to correspond. And uh, when I graduated in the spring, I got on my Triumph motorcycle and I rode up through Canada out to uh, you know Washington and then Oregon down to California. I showed up at his lab and I volunteered as a research subject. It was pretty primitive. One electrode, middle of the back of the head, one score, one speaker to give feedback. It was actually a, a speaker about this big, no case. The speaker paper was torn. It was sitting on an orange crate in the corner of a closet, which was the training chamber. And the big PDP-15 computer that ran everything was in the bedroom adjoining that closet. It was an abandoned house at the edge of campus. And so when my alpha would get bigger, of course, the, tones would, the tone would get louder. And you know what happened to the torn speaker? It kind of fuzzes out. Well, not being an audiophile, instead of being bothered by this, I would like merge into that auditory fuzz. And it made it possible for me to merge and I went higher and higher. I had three days of training, about an hour each. Most wonderful thing I'd ever done. And just to give you a little sense of it, I'm sitting there, eyes closed, in this closet, and the tone is there. And uh, there'd be a surge in the tone. And my rational mind would go, what was that? How did I do that? How do I keep it going? And well, that rah, 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 rah would make the tone go away. So I'd chill, I'd relax, and the tone would come back. And then I, my mind would go again, well, how do I do that? And it would go away. And so I learned kind of to put a leash on that aspect of my consciousness. So the tone would come on and it would want to go rah, 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 but I would hold it back like for half a second. So the tone could stay on longer. And then I could hold it for three quarters of a second and then for two seconds. And so I learned very quickly, a process that meditators take decades to learn how to still those internal dialogues. And in the process, I got higher and higher. Okay, so three days, it was wonderful. I go back on the fourth day wanting more, but they're not doing any studies that day. Well, Dr. Camilla's girlfriend, Joanne Gardner, worked in the lab and I'd become friends with her. So I went to her office and go, Joanne, would you take me downstairs and plug me in so I could play? And she goes, sure. So she does. She puts me in the chamber, doesn't turn on the polygraph because I'm nobody's data, but the, I'm getting the sounds and I'm getting the scores. She goes upstairs, gets involved with her work, and she forgets I'm there. Later, lunchtime comes, and she and nine other people from the lab go out to lunch, uh, 11, 12-course Chinese lunch. And in course 11, she goes, <gasps> Oh my God. And she remembers her somebody in the chamber. So all 10 of them pile into the VW camper bus, go racing across town, run up to the building, rip open the door of the chamber and interrupt the late stages of a most incredible adventure. Now, when I went into the chamber, I was a physics major, Protestant fundamentalist. And I didn't even know what meditation was. Wow. Okay. 
and here I'm, I'm having out-of-body experience, I'm floating, I'm flying, I'm flying around the universe, I'm meeting up with just corporate entities, I'm having ego disintegration, and, and it was a lot. And so when the door opened and there's 10 people standing there and they're you know, wondering what's going on, as I start telling the things that happened, Paul Gorman, who with his wife in that VW camper had toured India the summer before, he goes, that's a meditation experience. And I'd say something else, he'd go, that's a meditation experience. And so what I was being taught was that these experiences that I had had spontaneously through the technology were the equivalent of advanced meditation experiences. Now, I was so high that uh, out of body kind of that for the next three days, I walked around and it was like my feet were 18 inches off the ground. Well, then pretty soon the summer was over and I had to get back on my motorcycle and ride back across the country because I had decided I was going to register for grad school. I, I knew somehow I was going to be involved in weird stuff. And so I wanted to get my rational mind stamped with some seal of approval so people would take me seriously. So I can wear a Dr. Hart jacket and want to talk about phenomena. I'm, I'm coming on as an academic psychologist, which I was for many years. I was actually on the faculty of the psychiatry department at UCSF as uh, an assistant uh, adjunct professor of medical psychology. So when I talk about weird stuff, uh, you know, I do have some credibility behind me. Yeah, and I want to say this too, Bob, just, you know, with the experience that Jacqueline went through, and Jacqueline, I want to hear your thoughts on this, of if someone was to go through this process of the biocybernaut, I'd love for you to give us some insight on what happens day in and day out, because I know Jacqueline has given me the rundown on what happened every day and the importance of it so i'd love for you know you and jacqueline to have a discussion of what happened because this you know giving people some insight on both sides well what i can do and then bring jacqueline in is i can give you like the outline of the structure so you know kind of because pretty much the same things happen every day structurally but what you do within those procedures can vary all and then we bring jacqueline and she talk about her experiences Okay, when people arrive the first day, they come to a conference room and they sit at a table, their heads are measured and they're shown some uh, charts and graphs and slides to kind of explain. Uh, the brain is very complex. And so any meaningful brain machine interface is also gonna be complex. And all learning is divided into two parts. The first part is learning how to learn. And then the second part is the actual learning. And much of the first three days is learning how to learn. And so we also have a PowerPoint slide and people said they're measured, their lectures are put on, then they have a, a protein shake and off to the chambers. Now, when they first arrive in the chamber, they're plugged in, so their brainwaves are being recorded. And then in front of them is a keyboard and a computer screen. And uh, they take what are called the mood scales. They first make a report like how much did you sleep and how tired are you and do you have any nicotine, any caffeine, any alcohol, hopefully no. And uh, uh, how tired are you? And then words pop up on the screen, emotional words, one at a time, like friendly or clear thinking or sleepy or unhappy or dizzy. And then you push a button on the keyboard to indicate how much you're feeling that. So the computer will score you. These are uh, traditional psychological mood scales. Uh, and so you'll be scored on 21 different moods. Now, then you do a series of baselines. Eyes open baseline, where the lights are on, your eyes are open, you're looking at a white dot on the wall. Then you do an eyes closed baseline. Then you do a third baseline, which is really important. It's called the white noise baseline. It's done eyes closed. And within a background of white noise, like there are at random intervals beeps. And your task is to count the beeps. Now, eating would be counting on your fingers or your toes, so it's a purely mental task. And at the end, the technician calls in to each chamber and asks the person, how many beeps did you count? And they report. And then the screen lights up and it shows what the actual count was and what their reported count was. Hopefully, they're the same. Then they do the first feedback task, which is learning how to lower your alpha to keep the feedback tones quieter and to get lower scores. And so at the end of that, uh, there's a bathroom break. And then they come back and they do the alpha raising or the alpha enhancement, where the goal is to make the tones louder and to get bigger scores. And the way the feedback, either suppression or enhancement works, is 
you go two minutes, eyes closed, listening to these tones, boom, 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 uh, four different sites on the head on the first day. It does increase to more later. Um, and each tone, the volume, is driven by the amplitude of the alpha. So if the alpha gets bigger, that tone gets louder. So they work together. And the tones are adjusted 50 times a second, each one to accurately track the ever-changing amplitude of the alpha. And at the end of two minutes, there's a little ding, you open your eyes, and for eight seconds on your screen, scores pop up that show you how well you did, the energy and whether your left brain and right brain are working together. And the scores are color-coded. So that if you went in the wrong direction, that number is white. If you went in the right direction, it's, the numbers are blue. And if you went so far in the correct direction, either new low for suppression or new high for enhancement, then the numbers are green. You just set a record. And so you are, you know, have to remember the numbers. The computer remembers, and you just go by the colors. If your whole screen is white, try something really different because it's not working. And if everything is blue or green, keep doing it because you're spot on. Okay, so this goes on for a while. And then you uh, do another mood scale to report how you felt in your moments of highest alpha. Now, if you're doing the single, where you're only in the chamber one time each day, then you do the three mood scales in reverse order, come out and you go and you are interviewed. You have a depth interview. Uh, if you're doing one of the doubles, premium double trainings, then you come out and you have lunch and you go back in for another session, at the end of which there's a third mood scale where you again report how you were doing in your highest alpha. And so it's all been designed uh, by university research, some of it funded by private foundations, some of it funded by the U.S. government, National Institute of Mental Health, for example, funded a quarter million dollar study that I wrote and directed, which was called Anxiety and Aging, because the process both lowers anxiety and it reduces aging in the brain reverses aging in the brain, not slows it down, not stops it, reverses aging in the brain. And so uh, when people finish their one or two sessions and they go to the canopy room where we have canopy beds, where people then report on the details of their experiences. And so this might be a wonderful moment to bring Jacqueline in so she can talk about her interaction with any of these different stages of the training. Yeah, that beautiful explanation. And just as you were sharing that, I almost was reliving those moments. And I just totally enjoyed being in there. <laughs> so, for some, not so much, but for me, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so for me, what worked to suppress alpha the first couple of days when we're kind of learning how to learn you just froze data or lower alpha really hello breaking up a little bit can you hear me now okay hey. here we go are we good <laughs> so for me when the first couple of days when we were learning to learn and we were suppressing our alpha what worked for me was just critical thinking or anything that was complex a complex conversation with myself critical thinking not being honest with myself, those things. I mean, I was scoring high numbers <laughs> all about, you know, trying to suppress that. <laughs> now, opposite, when we were actually enhancing alpha, the things that worked for me best was when I spoke my truth, when I forgave, when I was in gratitude, and when I was just allowing myself to be. I didn't have much understood it, and I on it multiple times, but to just be, be in that moment is when all my numbers raise. And so we went through different types of exercises that were surrounded around forgiveness and just going to those high levels of ourselves and almost reflect that our past experiences that stuck out to us, things that we forgave, and just doing those things increased my alpha. And it was just an amazing experience, very profound. Thank you so much. I'm still feeling the, the results, the, I'm reaping the, the benefits still. <laughs> yeah, the results go on and on. And I wanna hear from you too. Oh, oh my gosh, I even just through communicating with 
people like I remember when we were in the canopy session I was like the person who I actually still sometimes have a spur of popping reaction is my mom you know like she might get on my nerves she does not get on my nerves at all no. <laughs> <laughs> just you know I, a simple it's it's been beautiful that's just one of the minor things it's been a lot my creativity is more I'm writing a book now I have all these different ideas and I'm executing on them so it's just it's been a beautiful experience and I would love for you to share too some of the ways I know I mentioned for myself it's gratitude and just speaking of my truth what are some of the ways someone at home right now going through COVID or just in general any experience how can they increase their alpha wonderful question and uh, as you know from having been on our uh, Sunday power intentions for healing uh, humanity of the coronavirus, um, I do give each Sunday a little tutorial on how to make alpha. The number one uh, uh, thing that you can do is close your eyes. Uh, even if your mind is racing, even if, as you said, for suppressing alpha, if you gave yourself problems to work on or you looked at uh, challenges, even if that's going on, if your eyes are closed, your alpha is going to be a little bit higher. So. You also want to uh, pay attention to your breathing. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, if you slow down and deepen your breathing, even just a little bit, uh, this will oxygenate your blood more and it'll blow off more carbon dioxide. When carbon dioxide is absorbed in the blood, it forms something called carbonic acid. When you blow that off, the pH of the blood shifts away from acid toward alkaline, and this triggers the blood vessels to dilate. So you've now got more blood flowing, the brain loves it, and the blood has more oxygen in it, the brain really loves that. And so both of these things will contribute to higher alpha. So you have eyes closed, and you have a slightly slower, deeper breathing. And then what you wanna do is you want to avoid any visualizations. To visualize, well, we say, we tell people when they're trying to learn how to suppress, we say the road to lower alpha is paved with beautiful visualization. There's only about 5% of the population who, when they visualize their alpha goes up. Most of these people are meditation teachers. And so when they ask their students to visualize, it works for them, but for 95% of their students, they're actually suppressing their alpha by visualizing. Now, if there's some objective that you want, it's okay to have a, you know, a five second visual of it just to kind of get it in your mind what you're doing, but then let go of the visual and just go into the feelings that you will have when you accomplish the object of your desire, the object of your intention. And so we have eyes closed, of course you're sitting down, you're not running around or running on a treadmill or you know, on an exercise. Your eyes closed, sitting still, doing a little bit of slower, deeper breathing, avoiding visualizations, and going into the positive feelings. And so these are things that you can do at home to raise your alpha. Now, there's some other things that you can do or not do at home to raise your alpha. And this has to do with avoiding alcohol, nicotine, and caffeine. Nicotine and caffeine are both vasoconstrictors. One time I had a woman in training and uh, she interrupted her alpha enhancement saying that she needed to go to the bathroom. Always allowed. But curiously, instead of going from the chamber to the bathroom, she went and got her purse and then went to the bathroom. Mm. She came back from the bathroom. She smelled of cigarette smoke. Wow. And when she went back in the chamber, her alpha had been cut to one-tenth of where it was before. She was running along at about 1,500, and after one cigarette, I don't even know if she finished it, she's down to about 150. The, because the nicotine goes through the lungs, it gets into the blood very fast, and it will constrict your blood vessels and choke your brain of blood and oxygen, and the brain doesn't like it, and it leads to less alpha, a lot less alpha. So you want to avoid nicotine. You, uh, you also want to avoid caffeine. Caffeine is also a vasoconstrictor, uh, and it uh, will replace alpha with beta, busy mind. Now, if somebody is in a secretarial role and they have a lot of sort of non-creative mundane tasks to perform quickly, caffeine could help with that. 
Now, I'm not dogmatic about caffeine. I actually carry, when I'm traveling, uh, a little bottle of caffeine pills. One time I'd gone to India to study brainwaves on the gurus, and uh, I arrived in Bombay after a like 20-hour flight and uh, in coach, so you know, not much sleep, and there was a baggage handler strike. And so they herded all the incoming passengers into this huge hall and were standing there like shoulder to shoulder. You couldn't even sit down on the floor without getting trampled. And so to wait the five or six hours there standing, I was able to reach into my pocket and take a bite of a caffeine pill, which was like about a tablespoon of coffee. And because I don't do caffeine typically, you know, that gave me like three more hours of ability to stand there. So, but generally you want to avoid it. And then the thing with alcohol. Now, alcohol is a brain poison. It will kill brain cells. If you have a cut and you don't want it to get infected, you pour alcohol on it. It could be whiskey, it could be scotch, it could be vodka, or it could be you know, some kind of pharmaceutical alcohol, and it will kill the infecting agents. Now, we have to talk about happy hour because a lot of people who are, are high-stress jobs, they get off work, and they go immediately to a bar and they start socializing with friends and drinking. And they are jolly. That's why they call it happy hour. Well, truthfully, it's actually happy 45 minutes. It's happy three-quarter hour. And here's why. The alcohol will allow the tense muscles to begin to relax. That in itself can raise alpha. And so people will feel a little happier. But after about 45 minutes, the central nervous system suppressing effects of alpha will kick in, and then the alpha goes down, 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 and you know, next morning you even have a hangover. And so you want to avoid nicotine, caffeine, and alcohol. But also, it's very important to avoid onions and garlic. Now, onions also have a lot of cousins, like leeks and shallots and scallions, and so you want to avoid all of these because they will... Uh, in most meditation traditions, I studied uh, the Yogananda tradition of, of yoga, and uh, by the correspondence lessons, and within the first month, Yogananda was urging the new students to give up onions and garlic, saying that they promoted a rajasic temperament. Well, you know, the ancient Greeks said uh, matter is composed of four states. Uh, earth, air, fire, and water, which we understand as solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. Uh, the, in the Hindu cosmology, things are divided into the three gunas, tamas, uh, rajas, and sattva. Tamas is the principle of ignorance or inertia. Uh, a drunk lying insensate in the gutter, in, in the gutter would be high uh, tamas. Rajas is the principle of ego, activity, and will. And uh, sattva is the principle of enlightenment. And so a yogi sitting absorbed in samadhi uh, is not moving, and the drunk lying in the gutter is not moving, but the yogi is in samadhi is demonstrating uh, sattva, and the drunk is demonstrating tamas. Well, onions and garlic promote um, rajasic temperament. We could make a joke uh, at the expense of the Italians. You know, the joke is that if you tie an Italian's hand behind their back, they can't talk. Because Italians, you know, talk like this, but they also eat a lot of onions and garlic. And the garlic makes people agitated. Um, I'd even like, if, if there's time, I could tell a garlic story. Absolutely, please. Okay. I have uh, a number of computer programmers. One of them, a very sweet man, his name is uh, Alan, and uh, he lives in far eastern Canada, uh, in Nova Scotia. And about once a year, I would invite him to come to my Canadian training center for a month to upgrade the mood scale program. Maybe add a new language or change some definitions, things like that, or add new features. And so uh, Alan is a, a geek uh, and he's very humble. He arrives the first day, lives with his elderly mother and he would go, Jim, my mother's alone and she's elderly. Would you mind terribly if I would give her a call? And I would go, oh, Alan, sure, please, anytime you want to call your mother, I have here in Canada phone service where you can call anywhere in North America for free. So anytime you want call, any calls. Next day, he comes to me all humble. Oh, Jim, I know I called my mother yesterday, but, but would you mind terribly if I gave her another call today? And I would go through this. 
uh, story again. Well, that would be repeated every day for the month that he was there. He'd always come humbly. Would you mind terribly? I know I called yesterday, but would you mind terribly if I called my mother? Okay, so that's Alan, brilliant and humble. Okay, so he's there on this particular trip about 10 days. And uh, I set him up in the living room uh, with a desk and uh, printer and things like that. He brings his own computer. And I go, uh, I'm just awake. I uh, haven't had breakfast. Uh, I go uh, to him and I ask him a question about some project that I'd given him. And his response is, arr, 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 like that. I go, oh, Alan, what's gotten into you? I, I, I can't deal with this. I'm not awake enough. So I go out in the kitchen and I make a smoothie. And uh, I sit and look out at the forest uh, uh, for 20 minutes. I drink my smoothie. And I go back to see Alan. And he's like, like that again. And I go, Alan, what's gotten into you? I, you've never been like this. What's going on? I, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go downstairs and get some Kangen water. So I go down to the Kangen water machine at a sink there. And I open the cupboards. And there's no glasses. So I go, oh, I have to go to the kitchen. So I go open the kitchen door and I'm bowled over by the smell of garlic. Now it's forbidden to bring garlic into a biocybernaut center. You could not even have it in your car. Same with alcohol. If you have garlic on you or alcohol in your car, you can't come onto the property. You have to park up on the road and walk down. That's wow. cool. Okay, so Alan not only brought garlic onto the property, but he cooked it. And he ate a garlic meal, and the, oh, dear, could you mind? Can I please call my mother? To like that, was one garlic meal. Wow. One garlic meal. And so I have lots of stories like that about trainees who, you know, uh, they're eating differently. They bring snacks, and maybe the snack has garlic in it, and they don't know it because they don't usually eat that snack. And, and they go, well, we had, we had a foundation head. Um, a very a prominent foundation was in training with his wife. One of my technicians, uh, Bianco, and his wife uh, were there, and the trainees were eating uh, um, dried buffalo, buffalo jerky. And as we got into day two, three, four, the, the, the male trainee started to use increasingly bad language, four-letter words. It got so bad that Bianco came to me and he said, Jim, I can't be your technician because I cannot have my wife exposed to this bad language. And so I go, hmm, okay. Uh, I'm very forgiving and so I kind of overlooked it. So I said, okay, now, what are you guys eating? You're going out to breakfast at restaurants. Oh no, we've been very careful. And I go, well, what's in that buffalo jerky that you're snacking on all the time? Well, I, I don't know, we, we just found it at the store. Read the label, number one ingredient is buffalo, Number two ingredient is salt. Number three ingredient is garlic. Mm. And so this mild-mannered, highly educated uh, physicist went from being this mild-mannered man to cussing and swearing so bad that I almost lost my technician over it. You know, there's dozens of garlic stories. And in fact, I find it amusing that sometimes people who are really committed to garlic, when I tell them this, they angrily defend that there's nothing wrong with garlic. <laughs> Got it. Interesting. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I want to touch on, um, to sort of change gears. I am fascinated by a video that I saw with Tony Robbins, and I know with, at BioCybernaut, a lot of high achievers come through this program. How has BioCybernaut, in your experience, been able to affect and enhance high-level CEOs or entrepreneurs who have who have businesses? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Uh, Tony uh, Robbins did the training uh, with his wife, Bonnie Pearl, and her personal assistant, Mary, who he considers a member of the family. And uh, at the end, uh, Tony said, this is one of the most valuable things I've done in my life. Wow. He said to me, he said, Jim, we are permanent family. It was totally awesome. And he continues to uh, refer people into the training. He's, uh, I saw him recently in one of his presentations where he said, there's no problem that can't be solved in alpha. And so, uh, you know, there are actually, I would say, some problems that you need theta to solve. But that's another story. Perhaps we can get into it. Uh, directly addressing your question, there was a, an article in Harvard Business Review, uh, I think around the year 2000, uh, by Daniel Goleman, 
and he was talking about research that had been done with uh, business leaders. Uh, and they had identified uh, six different leadership styles around the world. I mean, they range from the authoritarian, you'll do this because I'm the boss and I say so, to, uh, well, why don't we all discuss this and come to some consensus and everything in between, leading by example, leading by inspiration. And uh, the most effective leaders were ones who could draw on every one of these styles as the situation required. There might be a case with, you know, some stubborn person where the leader would have to be, you know, shall we say, very demanding. Another situation, maybe a conciliation or group consensus is required. And that what requ is required to shift back and forth is high emotional intelligence. There are seven different dimensions to EQ, and every single one of them is raised by the alpha training. And so in order to be an effective business leader, you need to have access to the emotional intelligence and the knowledge to apply one or more of these leadership styles as the situation requires. Love that. We can also note that a 50% boost in creativity and an 11.7 boost in IQ is going to make anybody more effective at what they do. Love it. Well, I do want to use time. We'll have two more quick questions. I know, um, Jacqueline, I'll, I'll hand this one to you. Yeah, so I want to go into there's alpha, theta, beta, and when we were together, you placed emphasis on even delta just as far as sleeping and making sure the weight, like no light, you know, you want to make sure you're getting deep sleep so your body can rejuvenate and kind of rebuild. Can you touch on delta a little bit and some of your best practices? for a great night's sleep because i think there's a lot of people out there that don't really place importance on just that sure well um of course you to contribute to great night's sleep you want to avoid uh, nicotine caffeine and alcohol um and then as you mentioned very wisely the bedroom needs to be completely dark and uh even uh if you have an eye mask or a sleep mask if light is falling on your skin, it will activate and uh, keep you from going into the deepest sleep. Now, I highly recommend the use of melatonin. For average person, you know, reasonable body weight, just half a milligram is all you need. Now, since melatonin is broken down by light coming in your eyes, the way you take melatonin is you've showered, brushed your teeth, whatever, the bed is open, you have one hand on the light switch, the other hand on the melatonin, the light goes out, then the melatonin goes under the tongue and then into the bed. And so uh, I've been at anti-aging conferences where uh, renowned physicians refer to melatonin as the best uh, age-slowing uh, uh, drug available because sleep is so important. And so one of the things that can disturb the sleep, of course, is anxiety, worry, stress. Um, and so there's certainly many opportunities, many reasons why people could be anxious. And so before you go to bed, before you, you know, you know, pop your melatonin, it would be very good to have, if you don't want to call it meditation, you could maybe have a gratitude session where you sit down and uh, close your eyes uh, and breathe uh, a little slower, a little deeper, and you review the things that you're grateful for. This will bring up your alpha and uh, calm you down, uh, reduce your anxieties, so when you do get into bed then, uh, you can drift more readily to sleep. Now, normally, let go, let's go to delta waves. Uh, sleep is characterized by two different brain waves. Stage one and two sleep, which is theta waves, that's light sleep. And the deeper sleep, which is the most restorative, is delta, that's stage three and four. Now, it normally takes a person 90 minutes from the time they fall asleep to reach delta, because they go down a little, 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 down a little. In 90 minutes, they're in delta. Now, it's very important to have delta sleep because in delta, your levels of human growth hormone, uh, HGH, are the highest in the blood that they are any time during the day. So that's when your body can repair the damage that you do just by being up and you know being active uh, during the day. And so when you take melatonin, 
instead of going, it's like a sperm well dive where you go right down into delta very quickly. And so if you're going to be in bed X number of hours, more of that time is available to be spent in delta. Now that's sleeping delta, but it turns out that there are super conscious states that are characterized by delta. I made the first scientific report in 1988 of the brain waves associated with Kundalini which is a very high delta activity, which can be in one channel or many channels of the head. Now, people who've studied yoga and kundalini know that the reports of kundalini are, it's like a freight train of energy coming up your spine. And as it passes through each chakra, it awakens each chakra into full conscious awareness. Now, pictures of the Buddha or statues of the Buddha typically look like the Buddha is wearing a helmet of flower petals. It's actually called the thousand petaled lotus, and it is a way to symbolically illustrate what happens to the brain when the kundalini energy reaches the brain and you break forth into this amazing delta. Now we do delta trainings, uh, not unless people have done a number of alpha and theta trainings, because it turns out that delta confers siddhis, which is a Sanskrit word that means powers. And so we don't want to create any Darth Vader's. So we want to make sure that anybody we give Delta training to has done enough ethical cleansing, done enough forgiveness of themselves and others, that it's not going to be like that movie, Forbidden Planet, where the scientist connected with the Krell technology and got this amazing brain boost, which allowed his id, his unconscious, to project matter and energy and wipe out anybody that he was irritated by. And so you've seen the, the Darth Vader movie, or the Star Wars movie, first one, where he's going like this to, in an empty hand and across the room, somebody choking. Um, and so these are very real, these powers, and they occur in Delta. We do Delta trainings, but again, they're by invitation only. After people have demonstrated through enough alpha and theta trainings, uh, the ability to uh, uh, do ethical cleansing. Love it. Jacqueline, I, I want to let you ask the last question to really wrap this up because you are someone that has gone through this. So what should the people know? What do you want to ask Dr. Hart before we wrap up? I Let's dive in a little bit because we touched, it kind of sounds like we might have been going into manifestation. And I would love to learn your definition of manifestation and how someone can get to that zone or get to that, that area of their life. Uh, well, that's a wonderful question. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, the famous science fiction writer, said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And so um, I kind of use in, in, uh, uh, interchangeably manifestation, magic, uh, and um, the ability to do a miracle. Okay? And so... Uh, we all have this ability. Uh, at one point, uh, when uh, Jesus' disciples were marveling about his miracles, he said to them, well, and greater things than these shall ye do. In other words, he's saying, this is not just me, but you can do it. You can do greater things than I've shown you. So, okay, let's take on that uh, opportunity, that invitation, that challenge. Now, I've studied two different uh, mystical traditions. Uh, one, uh, actually, I earned uh, uh, first degree in the Celtic tradition, but I've also been at the uh, edges of uh, uh, a large hermetic group. And both of these traditions understand that to do a manifestation or a miracle or a work of magic requires three things, desire, expectation, and merging. Desire needs to be strong. We all have had strong desires. The expectation needs to be confident. You can't have doubt because doubt is a killer. You have to believe, you have to know, you have to expect that what you're seeking to manifest, you will manifest, and then you merge. Now, the Archdruid uh, gave me a definition of merging, which was when your awareness becomes one with the ground of being. Now, if you've done it, you go, oh my God, yeah, that's so right on. If you haven't done it, you go, uh, ground of being, what's that? And so you might have heard the phrase, let go and let God, or the Goethe quote, that once you commit, then providence moves too. Well, what's providence? 
God, source, universe, whatever. So you get your desire strong, you get your expectation confident, and then you literally let go and you go into a pure brainwave state. Could be alpha, could be theta, could be delta. The archdruid said merging is compatible with all states, but it needs to be pure. And so you can manifest, and we've been manifesting uh, in uh, alpha states, uh, we do every training that I lead. We do intentions. You might remember uh, your own intentions, uh, where some time is dedicated during each enhancement, where the technician will, during the scoring break, read your intention, and then you receive, and everybody else then sends their energy to you for the accomplishment of your uh, intention. So whether it's an intention uh, or uh, some other form, what we're doing is manifesting, uh, we're doing magic, and we're creating miracles. Now, let's give a little uh, science here. Uh, probably uh, most people have had the experience of noise-canceling earphones. So you put the noise-canceling earphones on and it goes quiet. Well, how does this happen? Well, what the technology does, it detects the sound waves that are coming in, and then it broadcasts as the exact same sound waves, but 180 degree out of phase. So if the, what's coming in is going like, is rising, what the broadcast is falling. Then if this is falling, this is rising. And so it literally cancels it out. The energy is just canceled out. Well, it turns out that the Italian physicist de Broglie uh, described what were called de Broglie waves, which uh, are, everybody who studied uh, even a little science knows that light is either a photon, a little particle, or it's a wave. And depending on how you do the experiment, it looks like a wave or it looks like a particle. Well, de Broglie's contribution was that L, all particles, uh, atoms, their subatomic uh, particles, uh, uh, or even molecules, have waves associated. So if you could broadcast a wave that is 180 degrees out from the wave that's being carried by this particle, this molecule, it will simply disappear the way the sound disappears when you're wearing your noise-canceling earphones. And so wouldn't it be great to, for us to broadcast a frequency that is 180 degrees out from the coronavirus? It's one of the things that we're working on every Sunday. Everybody's invited to join the webinar. It's free. And uh, so then you can come and be a part of a group manifestation. I love that. I, I do want to be respectful of time. So yeah, just for everything that we spoke on today, I know you just touched on the webinar, where can people stay in touch with you, learn more about BioCybernaut and be a part of these daily meditations and manifestations? Well, it's interesting. Uh, they are evolving in the direction of daily. Um, it's currently we're doing it every Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific daylight time. Um, and uh, as I said, it's free. Anyone can join. You just have to register, and then you're sent the Zoom links. Um, but we're also going to be starting a class where I'm going to be teaching using my book, The Art of Smart Thinking, where each uh, week, probably on a Wednesday, the, the, it, there's going to be one of the chapters that we will have as a topic. So I will teach from that chapter, and people can also then have questions. So we're evolving more and more into into having this be uh, an ongoing uh, tutorial. Well, that is anything you want to say before we wrap it up. I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Hart. Biocybernaut.com. Yeah, Bio There's an 800 number you can call and talk to Kate and, uh, you know, she can actually refer people to me or you can just send an email through the website, biocybernaut.com. Absolutely. Well, everyone listening, make sure you check out biocybernaut.com. Follow Dr. Hart and thank you so much for coming on.